0: chapter 4 of curiosities of the sky this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by greg bell curiosities of the sky by garrett service the passing of the constellations from a historical and picturesque point of view One of the most striking results of the motions of the stars described in the last chapter is their effect upon the forms of the constellations, which have been watched and admired by mankind for a period so early that the date of their invention is now unknown. The constellations are formed by chance combinations of conspicuous stars, like figures in a kaleidoscope, and if our lives were more commensurate with the eons of cosmic existence, we should perceive that the kaleidoscope of the heavens Was ceaselessly turning and throwing the stars into new symmetries. Even if the stars stood fast, the motion of the solar system would gradually alter the configurations as the elements of a landscape dissolve and recombine in fresh groupings with the traveler's progress amid them. But with the stars themselves, all in motion at various speeds and in many directions, the changes occur more rapidly. Of course, rapid is here understood in a relative sense. The wheel of human history, to an eye accustomed to the majestic progression of the universe, would appear to revolve with the velocity of a whirling dynamo. Only the deliberation of geological movements can be contrasted with the evolution and devolution of the constellations. And yet this secular fluctuation of the constellation figures is not without keen interest for the meditative observer. It is another reminder of the swift mutability of terrestrial affairs. To the passing glance, which is all that we can bestow upon these figures, they appear so immutable that they have been called into service to form the most lasting records of ancient thought and imagination that we possess. In the forms of the constellations, the most beautiful, and in imaginative quality the finest, mythology the world has ever known has been perpetuated. Yet, in a broad sense, this scroll of human thought imprinted on the heavens is an evanescent of the summer clouds although more enduring than parchment, tombs, pyramids, and temples, it is far as they from truly eternalizing the memory of what man has fancied and done. Before studying the effects that the motions of the stars have had, and will have, upon the constellations, it is worth while to consider a little further the importance of the stellar pictures as archives of history. To emphasize the importance of these effects, it is only necessary to recall that the constellations register the oldest traditions of our race. In the history of primeval religions, they are the most valuable documents. Leaving out of account for a moment the more familiar f- mythology of the Greeks, based on something older yet, we may refer for illustration to that of the mysterious Maya race of America. At Izamal in Yucatan, says Mr. Stansbury Hagar, is a group of ruins perched after the Mexican and Central American plan, on the summits of Pyramidical Mounds, which mark the site of an ancient Tegonic center of the Mayas. Here, the temples all evidently refer to a cult based upon the constellation as symbols. The figures, and the names, of course were not the same as those that we have derived from our Aryan ancestors, but the star groups were the same, or nearly so. For instance, the loftiest of the temples at Ismail, was connected with the sign of the constellation known to us as cancer marking the place of the sun at the summer solstice at which period the sun was supposed to descend at noon like a great bird of fire and consume the offerings left upon the altar our scorpio was known to the mayas as a sign of the death god our libra the balance with which the idea of a divine wading out of justice has always been connected seems to be identical with the mayan constellation with which was associated a temple where dwelt the priests whose special business it was to administer justice and to foretell the future by means of information attained from the spirits of the dead orion the hunter of our celestial mythology was among the mayas a warrior while sagittarius and others of our constellation were known to them under different names of course and all were endowed with a religious symbolism And the same star figures having the same significance were familiar to the peruvians as shown by the temples at cuzco thus the imagination of ancient america sought in the constellation symbols of the unchanging gods but in fact there is no nation and no people that has not recognized the constellations at one period or another in the history employed them in some symbolic representative capacity as handled by the greeks from prehistoric times the constellation myths became the very soul of poetry. The imagination of that wonderful race idealized the principal star groups so effectively that the figures and traditions thus attached to them have, for civilized mankind, displaced all others, just as Greek art in its highest forms stands without parallel and eclipses every rival. The Romans translated no heroes and heroines of the mythical period of their history to the sky and deified Caesars never entered that lofty company, but the heavens are filled with the very early myths of the Greeks. Heracles nightly resumes his mighty labors in the stars. Zeus, in the form of the white bull, Taurus, bears the fair Europa on his back through the celestial waves. Andromeda stretches forth her shackled arms in the star-gemmed ether, beseeching aid, and Perseus, in a blaze of diamond armor, revives his heroic deeds amid sparkling clouds of stellar dust. There too sits Queen Cassiopeia in her dazzling chair, while the great king, Cepheus, towers gigantic over the pole. Professor Young has significantly remarked that a great number of the constellations are connected in some way or other with the Argonautic Expedition, that strangely fascinating legend of earliest Greek story which has never lost its charm for mankind. In view of all this, we may well congratulate ourselves that the constellations will outlast our time, and the time of countless generations to follow us. And yet they are very far from being eternal. Let us now study some of the effects of the stellar motions upon them. We begin with the familiar figure of the Great Dipper. He who has not drunk inspiration from its celestial bowl is not yet admitted into the circle of Olympus this figure is made up of seven conspicuous stars in the constellation Ursa Major, the greater bear. The handle of the dipper corresponds to the tail of the imaginary bear, and the bowl lies upon his flank. In fact, the figure of a dipper is so evident, and that of a bear so unevident, that to most persons the great dipper is the only part of the constellation that is recognizable. Of the seven stars mentioned, Six are of nearly equal brightness, ranking as of the second magnitude, while the seventh is of only the third magnitude. The difference is very striking, since every increase in one magnitude involves an increase of two and a half times in brightness. There appears to be little doubt that the faint star, which is situated at the junction of the bowl and the handle, is a variable of long period, since three hundred years ago it was as bright as its companions but however that may be its relative faintness at the present time interferes but little with the perfection of the dipper's figure in order the more readily to understand the changes which are taking place it will well be to mention both the names and the greek letters which are attached to the seven stars beginning at the star in the upper outer edge of the rim of the bowl and running in regular order round the bottom and then out to the end of the handle the names and letters are as follows Dube, Merak, Fayed, Megrais, Aliol, Mizar, banash Megrais, is the faint star already mentioned at the junction of the bowl and the handle, and Mizar, in the middle of the handle, has a close naked eye companion, which is named Alkar. The Arabs called this singular pair of stars the horse and rider. Merak and Duru are called the pointers, because an imaginary line drawn northward through them indicates the pole star. Now it has been found that five of these stars, Merak, Fered, Magrace, Aliyev, Mazar, with its comrade, are moving with practically the same speed in an easterly direction, while the other two, Dublé and Merache, are simultaneously moving westward. The motions of Ben-Ash being apparently more rapid. The consequence of these opposed motions is, of course, that the figure of the dipper cannot always have existed, and will not continue to exist. In the accompanying diagrams, it has been thought interesting to show the relative positions of these seven stars, as seen from the point which the earth now occupies, both in the past and in the future arrows attached to the stars in the figure representing the present appearance of the dipper indicate the directions of the motions and the distances over which they carry the stars in a period of about five hundred centuries the time no doubt seems long but remember the vast stretch of ages through which the earth has passed and then reflect that no reason is apparent why our globe should not continue to be a scene of animation for ten thousand centuries yet to come The fact that the little star, Accor, placed so close to Mazar, should accompany the latter in its flight is not surprising. But that the two of the principal stars of the group should be found moving in a direction directly opposed to that pursued by the other five, is surprising in the highest degree. And it recalls the strange theory of a double drift affecting all the stars, to which attention was called in the preceding chapter. It would appear that Benache and Douai. Belong to one current and Merak, Fayed Maghres, Aleof, and Mazar to the other, as far as is known, the motion of the seven stars are not shared by the smaller stars scattered about them. but on the theory of currents, there should be such a community of motion, and further investigation may reveal it from the great Dipper, we turn to a constellation hardly less conspicuous and situated at an equal distance from the pole on the other side. Cassiopeia. The famous star group commemorating the romantic queen of Ethiopia whose vain boasting of her beauty was punished by the exposure of her daughter Andromeda to the sea monster is well marked by five stars which form an irregular letter W with its open side towards the pole. Three of these stars are usually ranked as of the second magnitude and two of the third, but to ordinary observation. They appear of nearly equal brightness and present a very striking picture. They mark out the chair and part of the figure of the beautiful queen. Beginning at the right hand or western end of the W, their Greek letter designations are beta, alpha, gamma, delta, and epsilon. Four of them, beta, alpha, delta, and epsilon, are traveling eastwardly at various speeds, while the fifth, Gamma moves in a westerly direction the motion of beta is more rapid than that of any of the others it should be said however that no little uncertainty attaches to the estimates of the rate of motion of stars which are not going very rapidly and different observers often vary considerably in their results in the beautiful northern crown one of the most perfect and charming of all the figures to be found in the stars The alternate combining and scattering effects of the stellar motions are shown by comparing the appearance at which the constellation must have had five hundred centuries ago, with that which it has at present, and that which it will have in the future. The seven principal stars of the asterism, forming a surprisingly perfect coronet, have movements in three directions at right angles to one another, that, in these circumstances, they should ever have arrived at positions giving them so striking an appearance, of definite association, is certainly surprising. From its aspect, one would have expected to find a community of movement governing the brilliance of the crown, but instead of that, we find evidence that they will inevitably drift apart, and the beautiful figure will dissolve. A similar fate awaits such asterisms as the Northern Cross and Cygnus. The Crow, which stands on the back of the great sea-serpent Hydra and pecks at its scales, Job's coffin, Delphinus, the great square of Pegasus, the twins, Gemini, the beautiful sickle in Leo, and the exquisite group of the Hyades in Taurus. In the case of the Hyades, two controlling movements are manifest, one, affecting five of the stars, which form the well-known figure of the letter V, is directed northerly. The other, which controls the direction of two stars, has an easterly trend. The chief star of the group, Aldebaran, one of the finest of all stars, both for its brilliance and its color, is the most affected by the easterly motion. In time, it will drift entirely out of connection with its present neighbors. Although Hyades do not form so compact a group as the Pleiades in the same constellation, yet their appearance of relationship is sufficient to awake a feeling of surprise over the fact that, as with the other stars of the Dipper, their association is only temporary, or apparent. The great figure of Orion appears to be more lasting, not because its stars are physically connected, but because of their great distance, which renders their movements too deliberate to be exactly ascertained. Two of the greatest of its stars, Betelgeuse and Rigel, possess as far as has been ascertained no perceptible motion across the line of sight but there is little movement perceptible in the belt. At the present time, this consists of an almost perfect straight line, a row of second-magnitude stars, about equally spaced, and the most striking beauty. In the course of time, however, the two right-hand stars, Metaka and Analam, how fine are these arabic star- names, will approach each other and form a naked eye double. But the fir- third, Alnita, will drift away eastward so that the belt will no longer exist for one more example let us go to the southern hemisphere whose most celebrated constellation the southern cross has found a place in all modern literatures although it has no claim to consideration on account of association with ancient legends this most attractive asterism which has never ceased to fascinate the imagination of christendom since it was first devoutly described by the early explorers of the south Is but a passing collocation of brilliant stars. Yet even in its transfigurations, it has been for hundreds of centuries, and will continue to be, for hundreds of centuries to come, a most striking object in the sky. Our figures show its appearance in three successive phases, first as it was fifty thousand years ago, viewed from the earth's present location, second as it is in our day, and third as it will be in equal time in the future the nearest of these bright stars to one another, the length of the longer beam of the cross is only six degrees, makes this group very noticeable, whatever the arrangement of its components may be. The largest star, at the base of the cross, is of only the first magnitude, two of the others are of the second magnitude, and the fourth is of the third. Other stars not represented in the figures increase the effect of the celestial blazonry although they do not help the resemblance to a cross. But since the motion of the solar system itself will, in the course of so long a period as fifty thousand years, produce a great change in the perspective of the heavens, as seen from the earth, by carrying us nearly nineteen trillion miles from our present place, why, it may be asked, seek to represent future appearances of the constellations, which we could not hope to see, even if we could survive so long, The answer is, because these things aid the mind to form a picture of the effects of the motility of the starry universe. Only by showing the changes from some definite point of view can we arrive at a due comprehension of them. The constellations are more or less familiar to everybody, so the impending changes of their forms must at once strike the eye and the imagination, and make clearer the significance of the movements of the stars. If the future history of mankind is to resemble its past, and if our race is destined to survive yet a million years, then our remote descendants will see a new heavens, if not a new earth, and will have to invent novel constellations and perpetuate their legends and mythologies. If our knowledge of the relative distances of the stars were more complete, it would be an interesting exercise in celestial geometry to project the constellations probably visible to inhabitants of worlds revolving around some of the other suns of space. Our sun is too insignificant for us to think that he can make a conspicuous appearance among them, except perhaps in a few cases. As seen, for instance, from the nearest known star, Alpha Centauri, the sun would appear to average the first magnitude, and consequently from that standpoint he might be given a gem of some little constellation which had no Sirius or Octurus or Vega to eclipse him, with its superior splendor but from the distance of the massive majority of the stars the sun would probably be invisible to the naked eye and as seen from nearer systems could only rank as a fifth or sixth magnitude star unnoticed and unknown except by the star-charting astronomer n chapter 4 read by greg bell katy texas